Welcome to the Imbibe Live Conversations podcast with Amy Parker and Cheryl Dunn. By tuning in, you are joining a community that will inspire you to increase balance, wellness, and joy in your life. We will offer expert information and insightful conversations to help us all on our journey to live more in vibe. For more information and articles, remember to also check out our website at imbibelife.com. That's E-N-V-I-B-E-L-I-F-E.com. We're grateful that you are here. Hello, welcome to In Vibe Life Conversations with Amy Parker and Cheryl Dunn. Today is an exciting day for so many reasons for me. First of all, it's Cheryl's birthday. So uh, happy birthday, Cheryl. And so <laughs> excited you. that she's recording with us. Thank you, you see Cheryl and I in two different locations because I am recovering from COVID and I'm finally on day, I think six or seven, depending on where you start counting. So I'm going to be able to start getting back into life a little bit and next week fully back. So I'm excited about that. And Cheryl and I are really excited about our guests today. We are joined by Dr. Courtney Krim and Dr. Laura Allen. And this is a special treat for me because Courtney and I are almost lifelong friends. We've been friends since um, childhood. We were high school debate partners. So you might see some themes coming up there. <laughs> Cheryl probably feels your pain, Courtney, or Courtney probably feels your pain, Cheryl, whatever the more accurate way to put that would be. And so it's such a treat um, to get to talk to Courtney, you in this way, and now to meet you mm-hmm. too. Laura, and what you ladies are doing now and the research you're doing um, is so special and intriguing to us because Cheryl and I talk about nature all the time and the benefits of being out in nature. And now you guys are putting science to that. So tell us about who you are, your background, and this new venture you're setting off upon. I'll start a little bit, Laura, if that's all right, Um, because I think my journey probably started a little bit earlier. Um, When I first started working um, prior to being at Trinity University, where we were both um, professors, um, I was at University of Texas, San Antonio, and I worked with a really good collaborative there who um, did a lot of, I would say, more of outdoor education. So all of our students who were going through elementary education certification got 30 hours in outdoor education. So we trained them to be facilitators in Project Wild and Growing Up Wild and Project Wet. And so we did a lot lot of outdoor educations and were in the local parks and had some of those partnerships set up. And so that was, that was, uh, my comfort spot. It's, I really like to, to do that piece of it. Um, and when I moved over to Trinity in 2010, um, that option wasn't there for me to pursue as much, um, just because of the way our teacher education system is set up. We uh, don't have an undergraduate degree. It's very much um, minim- 
we think you should, you should know what you're teaching before you learn to, to teach it. And so they have, you have your regular undergraduate degree in your content area. And then that fifth year becomes the master's of arts in teaching. And it was so solid. And um, I mean, it's an amazing program, one of the top seven in the country, but there wasn't a lot of wiggle room. So I wasn't able to bring a lot of that outdoor education with me. Um, I did sponsor what we called Saturday morning experience for eight years, which is we use about 25 undergrads and train them how to start being teachers. And we bring in kids grades one through eight about once a month to the Trinity campus to do science enrichment. And I reframed all of that around outdoor education. So that gave me a little, a little bit of um, connection still with that. Um, so a lot of my teaching heart has always been with using outdoor education and, and getting kids outdoors. And I think that's kind of where Laura's story would, would pop in when she plunked herself down in my office one day <laughs> and was like, have you read this book? So I'm going to pass to her and, and she can give some background kind of up to that point as well. Thank you, Courtney. So, um, I teach uh, child and adolescent development, which in adolescence just also, it goes through age 25 and actually for for um, most people, there's a new area era they call emerging adulthood, which is really like 18 through 25 for, that um, we've seen as a new developmental uh, phenomenon. So in teaching that, I've just noticed over the years, plus uh, we have, my husband and I have daughters that are in college now, the additional stress um, that we have been, that our kids are experiencing. And it, it's, it's not the same kind of um, education that we went through. I think in many times it's more academically uh, rigorous, but it, it causes them a lot of stress and some mental health issues that, that are not good. So I picked up this book called The Nature Fix by Florence Williams. And I think it had actually not even come out yet. It was like a, a pre- copy a few years ago and I read it over uh the winter holidays and it it just spoke to me and basically it's it's basically how well we all know intuitively that being outside in nature helps with all types of mental health and stress it, it helps with immune function and those all kinds of different things um but we're just now getting a lot of research on that the past 20 years or so has really exploded so I read this and thought this is exactly what we need this is what this is, this is a great answer. And so knowing Courtney's background, I went into her office um, and said, you've got to read this book. And so she read it. And, and I think we're just both on the same page. It just makes so much sense. Um, but what's interesting is the more technological our world has gotten in the 21st century, the more time we all spend inside on devices. And I'm talking about all of us as well. Um, it can be a beautiful day, but we think we've just got too much to do. And so we really are becoming more and more divorced from our natural environment. And so I think there's a combination of things going on. But what we've noticed is that our students tend to not spend a lot of time outside. So this is something that we decided to look into and we formed an interdisciplinary research team with others at Trinity interested in this and started doing some research around this. And so how are you now taking that and going in this new direction? Because you have started a is it a business or an organization, the Nature Connections and Forest Bathing of San Antonio? And I apologize, I should have probably said that the very first thing <laughs> when we started this. 
Um, and we'll link your website and you have a mm-hmm. Facebook page, but tell us how it went from that research and applying it in your um, academic careers to this whole other path as well. Um, actually, I think it was an accidental falling into, <laughs> to tell you the truth. Um, we, we totally went in and when we went into our training um, with our cohort, um, we are both certified um, forest therapy guides with the Association of Nature um, and Forest Therapy, ANFT. Um, we, we first of all wanted to be trained because I had been doing some of, some of the I, approaches, I guess, with my classes unknowingly, like <laughs> just making it up as I went along. And I thought, oh, probably should do that with some validity. That would be a good thing. So um, for the sit, sit spots, and for example, and so Laura and I decided that if we wanted to use this more in our classes, we needed to be doing it accurately. Um, so we went into our training, which was, um, well, COVID hit. So it went online <laughs> and it was um, six months of working weekly with a cohort, which was in my mind so much better than going in and just doing the week long immersion because we had time to price us it and digest it and use it a little bit. Um, and then, um, and then we in October did our week long immersion, which finished up our training. But, um, when we would talk with our cohort, most of them were doing it as businesses, which is why they had kind of gone into it. And we were the only ones that had gone into it really to be able to use it in a classroom or in a, a different kind of setting. And so um, we had to do some practice forest walks and those kind of things. And as we would do that, people would say, you really should offer this in San Antonio. This would be really great for people in the community. And, um, as we learned more about inequities and lack of access and um, how different uh, marginalized groups may have some fears about being in the outdoors and things, we thought offering this as um, something that would go beyond our university and beyond our students could be really a greater service to help people actually find more comfort in the outdoors, learn how to use it in a way um, that is safe um, for themselves and those that don't see them hiking enchanted rock every weekend you know could find ways to still use their pocket urban areas in a way to benefit their emotional well-being so you know based on that we were like well, okay we we could start like a side company and it's very early infant stages um, with like our main jobs are teachers. That's what, you know, this is where all of our effort goes. And this is kind of something that's come along um, in the, in the side way that we hope um, will allow us to use the benefits of forest bathing, you know, and introduce those to people around the community that we may not be experiencing or encountering on our campus. So Laura, you can add whatever you want to on that. It was <laughs> I think that was great. I mean, we've also, we've used this with our students. Um, so that, I mean, there's a, a sequence to it. And basically the idea is just to um, help you get out of your head and into your senses and that using the senses in your body to explore the natural world through a series of invitations and just a process that we go through. Um, and I think that really helps some people um, because just saying go to take a walk it works for some of us and, and for some of others, we just need a little bit more direction. 
So can you tell us a little bit what it's what the experience would be like if we signed up for a session of forest bathing with you? Like what would we expect? Because I do think that some people would think, well, I can go take a walk and the forest by myself, but you know, what's the benefit of signing up with you guys to, you know, take us through the process or what's it like? Laura, do you want to take that? So, um, when we say there's a sequence, it's, it's a process that we would, you would, you would meet us at a natural area. Um, and while those can be urban, definitely we try to find somewhere that has a significant amount of, of nature, whether it's an urban park or, or out, you would meet us there. Um, we would introduce you to a little bit of this, tell you about it, what it is, and then begin through um, a series of invitations to help you kind of get out of your head. The first invitation is called pleasure of presence. And basically it's a little bit like um, the first time I did it, I thought it was a little bit like meditation it takes about, Oh, from 10 to 20 minutes. And you just close your eyes. And Courtney is exceptionally good at, at this one. Um, just being able to listen to what's around you, um, smell what's around those kinds of things, right. To kind of help you decompress. Let's stop thinking about, oh, let's stop the snowball thinking in our head about everything we need on our to-do list. Right. And then after that, depending on the, the location and where we're at, um, we also offer other invitations to, um, they might be a water invitation. If there's water nearby to, to think about, go look and think about something with the water. And so there would be a group of people there, um, typically smaller groups, although when we do it with our classes, we have 25, which is really large, but probably more like what eight to 10 is a nice size. And then you would just wander when we do it, for example, in San Antonio and Brackenridge park, we have them wander along the river and it's just, it's silently you go and, notice certain things that we direct you to in the invitation for about 10, 15 minutes, depending on how long that invitation is. Then we bring bring you back to the circle and we share what everyone was noticing. It's optional. You can share, not share. And then we offer another invitation. So it's a series of invitations that we go through to kind of help you notice things that you would not normally notice and pay attention to and to really slow down. I think that's one of the things is even when we're walking, like I have nature trails in the back of of my house here. And, you know, when we go for a walk, we're moving and we're typically kind of moving quickly, you know, because that's what we're told with exercise. You know, you want to get a certain pace, you want to get your heart rate up. That is not the intent with force therapy. The intent is to slow down so that you can notice and experience some of these things. Courtney, you want to add anything to that? No, I just, I think a lot of times when people hear forced bathing, they think, you know, oh, we're going to take our clothes off and be in the river. And, you know, it's not. Um, forced bathing actually originates from um, Japanese um, term shinrin and yuko, which is um, what you're doing is bathing in the chemicals, the phytoncides of the forest that um, are around you. So, they the literal translation is forest bathing so that's why in the west it's become kind of like forest therapy walks um to get people out of that idea of we're not just going to go romp around in the river kind of thing um and when when we first started doing it laura and i went to sedona not knowing what to expect we had some instruments we wanted to use we wanted to pilot those with pre and post and and so we went to sedona because that's the closest place we could find a certified forest guide and um 
to experience it our first time. And, you know, it is a lot of slowing down and using the different senses, like taking your shoes off and putting them in the mud and, and some of those things um, that we don't normally allow ourselves time to do. Um, and I, I think one of the biggest things with having a guide, the difference and and you definitely, if you've done several of these, you can build as a practice, you know, as a practice, as if, you know, yoga or, you know, meditation or something. Um, but having a guide there to help you kind of remember and keep you in those, the sensory orientation and out of the cognitive piece um, is what's really good because I'll watch teachers and for an example, a difference in a direction versus an invitation might be teachers will say, Oh, go out and find five different colors and bring them back. And an invitation instead would be, I wonder if you walk about how many colors you'll be able to find. So it's not counting a number or doing this or having to fit a requirement. It's just letting you, you may find just that, well, I find so many shades of green. It's all green, but it's so many shades or some people will bring back a rainbow of different things. And, um, you know, so it leaves it very, very open-ended. It allows the participant to uh, go with whatever their senses are feeling like they want to engage with at that particular time. Um, and again, as Laura has said, the whole goal is to get you out of your cognitive piece. I know when I go walking, I do like to listen to podcasts. I'll listen to a podcast or, or I'm planning something in my brain and using that time to get my heart rate up or do different things. But this is completely different. It's about, um, you know, emptying out that cognitive piece of it. One thing that we know is that especially with our developing, Laura, what was the term? Developing adulthood? Emerging adults. Emerging adult, late adolescence. Um, and I always tell our kids they hate it. Right? You are still an adolescent. You were 20. You know? <laughs> so, um, but that frontal lobe is not developed. And the frontal lobe is where we use all of our logic and decision-making. And every time you pick up a text, your phone dings, you multitask in any way, that frontal lobe is the glucose levels that allow you to make those, those decisions, like just kind of keep chalking down. <laughs> it's like a gas tank. And every time you use that glucose, that frontal lobe depletes its ability to be able to make informed, good, thoughtful decisions. And the way that you can, one of the theories that we base our work on, work on is attention restoration theory. Um, and the way to refill the gas tank is to do what's called soft fascination, um, in, involunt involuntary um, direction to where you just let your your senses go and you and you you pay attention to what feels good to your body and that allows those glucose levels to build back up. So then you can go back and you've kind of refilled that frontal lobe. You can go back and make some better choices you are more for you know more focused um people feel more settled um often they say they feel much more focused and ready to go kind of accomplish things so i don't even think i'm on the question we asked but okay. <laughs> uh, yeah I've re i'm now going to look into attention <laughs> restoration theory like that that's my new wormhole i'm going to go down when we get off this podcast now well, I think. And there, there are four main theories that that underpin this um the stress reduction, which is kind of the same thing, but backwards is one says you start with the stress and one says you start with the task, but they end up with the same thing. You end up with an improved 
outcome to be able to attack it. Um, biophilia, which is the one that we talked about with the fight insides that, oh, wait, wait, no, wait, no. Biophilia, Laura's the good one on the theories. Biophilia is basically that our, our minds have not evolved as fast as our world. And so our minds and bodies still seek things that our ancestors hundreds of years ago sought. So like people like beachside properties or room with a view or why is that? Because our bodies and our minds still connect to nature. They still see, um, you know, a treat area safety or, you know, looking for that, looking at that fight or flight type of piece that biologically our bodies still seek out that nature connection because that's where we are. Um, you know, our ancestors were very, very connected to the land and the land was their life. And, and together um, it was a reciprocity that allowed both to flourish and that our bodies are still there while our environment is, is way beyond. So biophilia is one of the other ones. And then um, the fight inside ones is Japan as, is the leader in, in that research. Um, they do some things like lock people in hotel rooms and pump in essential oils and those kind of things. But um, there's a lot of evidence that um, with those fight insides that the trees release, that's how the trees do a lot of their communicating. And if there's a fungus or something that's causing danger or harm, they'll release these fight insides to help one another build protection. Um, and when you're in that area, you're breathing in the fight insides, you're actually absorbing them through your skin. And um, there's a lot of evidence that those create an increase in your white blood, blood count, um, which is natural killer cells. They're referred to as NK cells in the, in the literature. So Japan, Finland, and Scotland are like the leaders in, <laughs> in a lot of that um, very technical kind of research. But yeah, so there's those four main underpoint theories. We, we tend to think it's a, it's a synergy of all of them and don't really kind of want to spend our time figuring out which theory is right. We just, we just want to use them. <laughs> yeah. I think we find that a lot in, in our conversations. Don't you think Cheryl, it's like, you know, there's a line between just going with what feels good or what, what you intuitively are led to also. And I think another question I had for you, because like I am a meditator. And so I would say, how is this different or how is um, forest therapy or forest bathing different than it sounds a lot like my normal meditations or particularly if I have a particularly good guide to lead me through a guided meditation exercise. But you probably just answered that. <laughs> One thing that is really interesting um, is when I've done meditation, it's, it's to get you to really clue into your mind and what you're, what you're, what you're focusing on thinking about the present moment and thinking, and really what we're, what forest therapy is about is the opposite. I want you to focus on what's out there in nature. If that makes any sense. Um, yet the first time I did it, it did feel a lot like that, especially the, the very first invitation that we do feels like that, but then you're wandering, you're looking, you're exploring, um, and I mean, there's no wrong way to do 
forest therapy, when you, we offer an invitation, that's one thing I think is really nice. I know the first time I did it in Sedona, I kept thinking, am I doing it right? Am I, I don't think I'm doing it right. I think, you know, like I, I and, and Courtney is much more go with the flow, whatever. And I was, and I'm more like, I don't think I did it right. I think I was, I supposed to come back with more of these things, you know, <laughs> and our students sometimes are that way too, because we're so focused on the a right answer, a right way to do something. So, um, to get back to your question, it's, it's more of looking, it's a way to help us focus on nature and not focus so much on ourselves, but we do that to get out of your head. As Courtney was talking about, you have to get into your senses. One of the things that I'm hearing, and I don't know if you hear this from people that get to go do this forest bathing with, uh, with you is there such a safety aspect? Like I, I think if I was in this guided forest bathing and asked to close my eyes and take everything in, I would feel so safe there with other people that had done it before. Um, somebody looking out, I mean, cause I, I just think as a female, sometimes being out on a hiking trail, you don't want to sit and close your eyes because you're, there's that, always that fear factor that somewhat there's the bad guy there. Right. But if you're with a group and there's someone there that knows this area and knows what they're asking of you. And it, you know, it's your expertise. There would be such a place, me as the student of peace and safety and being able to fully let go and give in to what you're asking. If you're there guiding me doing it, do you get that much from people that it feels so much safer with you? Yeah, I, I actually have started including that in the pleasures of presence um, because of that factor where I, you know, I've said, you know, and if you feel so inclined, you know, close your eyes, I will keep my eyes open um, around you just to make sure that there, there are no um, situations that you need to be worried about um, because I, yeah, and I and I only picked that up from being led by another guide where she did that. And I was like, oh, I really like that. That makes me feel so much better closing my eyes. And that's true because, we, <laughs> funny story, we were doing one of our um, training walks and I was sitting in the middle of San Antonio, eyes closed and started hearing this. <laughs> and I opened my eyes and there was this huge buck, like, I don't know, 25 yards away from me, like looking at me. And I thought, Oh my gosh. And it started going through my head. Is it rut season? Is it, you know, <laughs> do I need to stay still? Do I need to run? You know, trying to think about what those things were, but yes, I agree with you like someone who knows the area where you can say, and that's part of our introduction, um, which, which Laura is really good at is, you know, talking about things to be aware of um, if there's plants in the area that you might need to avoid, or if it's snake season or, you know, um, what what those things need to be and so as a guide it's our job to be familiar enough with the area and the region to express those things and know what to be looking for and um, there are measures we put in to you know we want people to feel free to wander about and some people will feel free to wander a lot farther than others and so um, you know ways to call people back and if 
if if it, we like co-leading, um, a lot of people lead singly. They lead their guides, but you know their walks by themselves. But we like it as co because there there has been, you know, one or two instances where we'll say, okay, I'm going to start the next invitation, and Laurel will go back and find we're straggling one or something. So um, that works well for us to just ensure that. And that, so that's the teacher hat and us like, where's the head count? That sounds like Amy and I doing a podcast. Like one picks up where the other one. <laughs> and exactly. from that on, it's nice to have a good partner. Yes. <laughs> so how often you mentioned early on that with your students, sometimes you find some resistance to going outdoors because maybe that hasn't been something they've experienced a lot or, I know a lot of people think, well, I'm just not a very outdoorsy person or going into the forest isn't my kind of thing. How would you address those sorts of attitudes or concerns? Well, I guess we haven't haven't had that to a great extent because, um, for example, we we have just taught, finished teaching a course on this for the first time. Uh, this past fall, and um, we made it pretty clear in the course description about what it would, you know, we will be going outside at least 50% of the time um, on field trips to parks. However, having said that, that's a good point, because people felt differently as far as some people were just like would do anything, right? They were just like traipsed through the high grass, and I was, and get in the river, and and the the teacher and the mom and me was like, oh my gosh, you know, there's... (laughs) There could be, you know, that's a good snake place, right? And and the river's flowing pretty fast and those kind of things. Whereas other people are much um, much more conservative about that. Like they want to make sure they have all the bug spray on and, and all of these kinds of things. So we provide like a range of options for them. I mean, people can take this as like when we offer an invitation, you can literally stay near us or you can wander out much farther. We do. It is really nice, as Courtney mentioned, because we try, we keep an eye on everybody. And we've gone and we have scoped this trail out and where we're going to go in advance. We don't just go and wing it, right? We, we know where we want to go. We know kind of why we want to go to these certain places because of different things that we think they offer. Um, and so you can, the people... Um, the students that, that tend to be a little more hesitant, plenty for them to experience. What, what we saw over the semester and, and different times that we've taken different groups is, is they grow in that, right? They're a little bit more comfortable. Some people will sit right on the ground. Other people will say, we'll have mats for them or we'll say, bring a blanket or something because they don't want, they're not comfortable sitting on the ground because, you know, they're bugs. Right. <laughs> That's what I'm always wondering. Is there a glamping version of forest bathing? Maybe I know I would be one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you have the little mat, and are, do I really have to get the mud between my toes? <laughs> you don't. You don't. Uh, you don't. And um, and that is one of the things that we do. Like we, ha- one of our trainers said, he goes to all his walks just with everything he needs in a backpack on his bike. And Laura and I. We're still baffled by how he does that because we we lug this huge wagon with with all of our stuff for the tea ceremony and you know I've got yoga mats cut up whereas like I've got mats if you need them and you know so if you don't feel comfortable being on the ground we had one student in our class who um actually he was in my a different class but he always knew we were going to have class outside and he always just brought his camping chair <laughs> just <laughs> to class that was part of his thing um one of the things we have them do weekly as part of their assignments where I think this is where we did get the resistance was, um, is a sit spot. 
And so they go and we ask them to spend about 30 minutes any any place on campus or off campus where they feel comfortable. Um, and again, we do things like if you're in Breckenridge Park, please don't go after dark and <laughs> those kind of things. A lot of them found that they like to do sit spots together, but separate, like parallel play kind of thing. Um, just sit spots, but know that someone was close by and that worked. But we had them do reflections on it. And it's really funny because the, I don't know, the first four or five weeks for those who aren't into it, they're like, this sucks. I have got so much to do. I've got a biochem test and all this other stuff. And you're making me sit here for 30 minutes without my phone. And, you know, and, and they just don't like it. And about week four or five, you see this turn, like, I'm really glad you're forcing me to do this. <laughs> okay. And then, then you start to see this. I really look forward to this. This is my time during the week where I have permission to be still and to just be present. And my entire week is so hectic and there's so much stuff going on that I really value this time of just being still and noticing. And I've been coming back to the same place and I notice all the changes that have happened just in a semester. And, you know, so they, they come around to it with that, which I always think is really I, I love it when they say, I know this assignment's over, but I'm going to do this for my whole life. I mean, that came back in some of our course evaluations. Like, I'm going to do this the rest of my life because I just, you know, it was the one time in my week where I had permission to just sit and be. And that was so important for my well-being. So, you know, I, Laura and I both feel like if we can send them off with that, we have done our job. That's, that's awesome. going to give them something. And, and, that's that's pretty special. A, and a grounding component too. Don't you think, Cheryl, we've talked a lot about grounding, whether they realize that's happening or not, especially if you're taking your shoes off, that's probably happening. Um, yes. But I love that. So one other question I have, and then Cheryl, and because we're all split screen, because we're in a COVID Omicron frenzy right now, you know, to those of you just listening and not realizing that, forgive us, but that's why we're having to sort of pass off these questions. But here's one question I have, like when I think of the term forest bathing, or as you're, you know, advocating forest therapy, I think of going, you know, into the thousand acre woods kind of thing, you know, you're going into some mystical, beautiful forest, is your backyard okay? Does that count or just your neighborhood for people out there listening? Can you get the same benefits? There's a lot of research that's been done in, in um, urban green spaces. And yes, you can. I mean, typically, you know, if you go way out where you can't hear any kind of um, human built environment interaction, not, you know, no airplane, nothing, that that would be ideal, right? But most of us can't do that on a daily basis, you know? Um, and so, yes, urban green spaces are very beneficial. What we would say to look for is our trees. Trees are very helpful. Um, there's, Courtney talked a little bit about some of the benefits of trees. Uh, water is good, but any kind of green space can really, really help you. And some of the mechanisms that Courtney described, what we also know is, you know, the trees will suck up that, that carbon dioxide. And I mean, um, that, and so it's what's, what we're getting from being outside. Plus it's sometimes what's not there. I mean, we don't have the levels of pollution, um, even like in downtown San Antonio, where you have, where you have a lot of tree cover, you have got healthier air and things like that. So even, 
even if you can hear some cars or whatever, it, yes, it's definitely beneficial to get outside um, in an urban area. And that's one of the things we, I think, in a broader context need to be advocating for is, you know, as our human species grows and we get larger numbers and things, um, we need to make sure we don't we don't tear down all of our natural spaces, right? And that we keep those, especially in our urban areas, because there are people, uh, many people that are not able to get out to these wilder spaces that you're talking about. Um, and that's going to be, those natural areas are key. We know that children that grow up around more nature, um, they have higher intelligence, they have better mental health. They have, it's just, it, it's it's all intuitive when you think about it, but what's nice is that we have so much research now on how beneficial that is for all of us. Um, and yet it's not, it's an equity ex, uh, issue, right? Not everyone has equal access to those spaces, whether it's in an urban area or um, farther out in maybe a rural space. And when we, it, it sounds like it doesn't fit, but you can do a virtual forest therapy walk. Um, a lot of our training over that six month period was done I and mean, it was all done virtually and where everybody has their phone and they're in their own green space or spot. And there were some people up in Canada who, you know, they were indoor with a plant, you know, they were by a window looking out um, and, and, and still able to participate um, fully. And in, in those kind of capacities, we had some students who were at one point, um, just on their balcony with some of their plants overlooking um, an area, which, which works. Um, is it ideal? Probably not, but does it work? It, it does. And um, so some of the um, stress reduction theory comes from is um, looking at hospitals where they looked at people healing with those that had windows to an outdoors to trees versus those that had windows to a brick wall and um, the rate of healing um, was drastically improved by just the view that they have. So, you know, if you can't get out to some, and, and that's that, like Laura said, that's the equity piece. We can't all fly off to Colorado and go to these beautiful forests. My, my daughter lives in Portland, Oregon, and those, those ancient forests are just, oh my gosh, you could just soak them in, but I can't fly to Oregon all the time <laughs> to lead a walk. So where do I find that? And sometimes it can be a backyard or um, like we said, we had people who would participate with just buy some plants inside their home because it was eight feet of snow outside or something. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's, you can, you can access those same ideas of getting into your senses and really focusing on, on what am I noticing and what's feeling good and what am I welcoming into my body in those same experiences. Well, I love that because I also love natural light and natural sunlight and believe in the benefits of natural vitamin D and particularly the sunrise in the morning. And I have this theory that has absolutely no research or education behind it, but that every room needs some natural sunlight every day. I just, I think it makes the energy of the home better. And so well, hopefully there is research on that. And actually my, our, our daughters are in college and I tell they both have wonderful views, but sometimes they don't open their windows. I'm like, just would you open those blinds, please? You yeah. know, one of your desk up against this window, looking out to this gorgeous courtyard space with trees and she's got it closed. I'm like open your window, you know, that's going to make such a difference for you. I agree. So, I yeah. agree. Cheryl, do you have anything you want to add? 
No, I just, I love this. I would love for this to be taught in the schools at an early age. This whole idea of taking the time, get outside, give yourself, give yourself this gift. I find that every morning when I go wake up my children, I open their blinds to wake them. Oh, that's a good, I just feel that's a special like way to wake up is naturally with, I mean, they probably would completely disagree. They're like, shut the blinds, you know, (laughs) but I just think it's a soft, gentle way to like, well, you know, welcome your body to the new day is to have the natural sunlight coming in. And, um, I, I just, I don't know. I just think this is such great information and I hope people really absorb it. And we're going to put a link to your website right? So that people can sign up for these forest bathings with you. Cause what a great opportunity that you're yeah. giving people. Do you have any plans to maybe begin offering that virtually? Um, we haven't set dates. We're kind of doing a soft rolling into this. Yeah. Um, I tend to have new preps every semester. So <laughs> that, that tends to take a lot of my time, but, um, but what we are doing now is if a small group of people want to say, hey, I've got a small group of people that would like to do one on this day or these days that we you know, can come in and offer those um, in that way. We haven't set any where we say, hey, at Harburger Park, we're going to have one on this particular day if you want to sign up. So we're, we're, we're kind of doing it in the opposite way um, with that, if that makes sense, as we roll out our, our particular yes. um, business with, with the students, we just, like we said, we, we started the class and we also will give you a link to our, um, our syllabi. Um, because as far as we know, this might be one of the only courses that really teaches it at the, um, at the college level. Um, Harvard has a class on it, but it's in their school of medicine. So um we, That's you know, telling had right there, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we um, we spent a long time designing the course. We worked with ANFT just as not what to teach, but just some content validity checks on that. And we go through, first of all, how and why are we separated from nature Um and then why is it good for your well-being? And that's one of the biggest impacts, I think, of this class is we take them out and these students do their own pre and post data and look at it and go like, wow. I mean, because we're the age of their parents and, you know, moms know nothing. And, you know, they can say, like, do this and like, yeah, whatever. You know, but if they look at this and say, oh, my gosh, look how better my mood got and look how my tension went down and, you know, if they can see their own numbers of their own body, that's really powerful. So, um, and then we look at, so if it's good for you, how do we start little kids out like this and keep them from dividing? So we look at um, outdoor learning experiences, building that in. And then the last part of the class is a policy piece of, we take um, looking at SA 2020 and some other um, national, um, efforts of the 10 minute green space where everybody has access to a green space within a 10 minute walk of their home. So the city has identified for us the, the most high need areas and our students selected different areas and redesigned these spaces to um, one. So they would be more access to these populations, but then also basing it on if they were to use these to improve their well-being, what would these spaces need? 
to, to best facilitate that. So that's the, the course kind of trajectory that we did. And um, it turned out, I think, better than either one of us thought. So we'll, we'll give you that. Um, we'll definitely be making some adjustments to it, but that course syllabi is open access. We've made that open access and, for anybody. And, and so. we can link all of that in our show notes. Yeah. And then as you get more research, because I know your research is an ongoing mm-hmm. um, process right now, and hopefully will be into the future. We'll keep adding links or update with another podcast. Great. Thank you. We would love that. We just, like you said, it's an, it's an equity issue and, I think the more people realize about it and um, have access to it and understand that it really is something that benefits you biologically and your mental and emotional and physical and cognitive well-being. I mean, all areas um, that that that's something that they would want to experience or, you know, at least learn more about. If nothing else, read Nature Fix by Florence Williams. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> Sounds good. That that can be your next audio book, Cheryl. Well, thank you both for joining us, Dr. Courtney Krim, Dr. Laura Allen. It's been a pleasure. I hope you have inspired some of our listeners, even maybe mm-hmm. to go out in nature today, find a tree, love a tree, um, <laughs> take off your shoes, walk around and, um, we can't wait to see where this leads. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks you, girl, ladies. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for joining our conversation today. For more information or to learn more about InVibe Life, we hope you'll visit us at www.invibelife.com. You can find links and show notes for this episode on our podcast page. Please like, follow, and leave a review for our podcast. We hope that you will listen again soon.